you have your Bibles with you, please turn, turn them to First uh, Samuel chapter 9. Now, we are covering the whole chapter, um, but what I'm planning to do this morning is I'm only going to read verses 1 through 2, or 1 and 2. And uh, the reason why I'm doing that is because uh, a lot of what happens in chapter 9 is, is repeated in chapter 10 as well. So we'll be able to, be able to go over it uh, when we go over chapter 10. Uh, verses 1 and 2 is uh, going to be my focus this morning. So let's uh, read 1 Samuel chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zoror, the son of Becherah, and the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Amen. All right, so if you were praying for me this week, I really appreciate it. I had told uh, several of you or maybe a couple of you that uh, this week's passage was going to be difficult because there's a lot that is said in chapter 9, um, you know, but to get something out of it to feed God's people, obviously, you know, the preacher is always relying on God for that. And uh, for some chapters, he's relying on it more than others. And uh, this chapter is one of those where it took some time to... Uh, get an understanding of this passage and how I can apply it to what we've been talking about as we've been walking through um, the book of Samuel. Now, it, scripture, it is what it is. I can't change the meaning of it. It says what it says, and we have to take it for what it is. Uh, the part that I'm speaking about is the application of the passage, right? How can we relate it to us and how we are living today? And I'm really thankful to God for helping me through this because um, he really opened up my mind to a part of this passage and the passage I just read that helps us to think through things because we've been talking about several different things relating to, um, you know, we can't rely on our heart because our heart deceives us. Right. So if we can't rely on our heart, then we have to rely on the word of God. But we all know that the word of God is just not always we have to we have to study it. It's, it's something that we have to gain understanding of, right? And not just anybody can read the Bible and understand it. The Bible tells us that we have to have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, to decipher what the Lord says. So that's the starting point. We have to be Christians to understand what the Bible says. But even after we're Christians, we can't just read any passage and just be like, okay, I, I completely understand that passage. Does anyone do that? Anybody in here? Right. No, I can't even raise my hand. Right. It, it takes me all week to study passages so that I can preach to you. So the thing is, is that even though, yes, we confess that our heart is corrupt and even though we have the Bible, um, it takes some judgment on our part. And this judgment has to go beyond our own mental capacity. Right. Because, I mean, we're, there's some very, 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 very smart people in this room, but none of us are smart enough to do this without the help of God. Right. And so what we're going to talk about this morning is discernment and how the Lord helps us to determine truth or truth from falseness. Right. So let me start with letting you know um, some of Israel's problem as we as we've been walking through first Samuel um, here in uh, chapter or the chapter before in chapter eight. We see that Israel demands a king and this is a sin against God because 
Basically, they are rejecting God and they're demanding an earthly king to lead them. Uh, they want something tangible. We related it to uh, Moses after he left the Israelites in Mount Sinai. Once he left, what did they do? They wanted a golden calf, something that they could see, something they could touch, something they could follow. Even if it wasn't alive, they were like, OK, we're going to form this golden calf. This is going to be a representation of God. And that's what they wanted to follow. And so what the Israelites are doing here is no different. They want an earthly king in, in God's spot. So we recognize that as idolatry, you know, putting something in God's spot and wanting to follow that instead. And we ourselves need to be very careful of that because sometimes we want something tangible to hold on to to follow. And so the Israelites are rebelling towards the Lord and the Lord has actually given them the desires of their heart. They think this is a good thing. They think this is the right thing to do. And why do they think that? Well, they think it because they feel it in their heart. The Lord warned them against it. And we'll read that warning here in a minute. But he warned them against what this king, this earthly king would do. He would essentially take their blessings and give them heartache and sorrow. And even after hearing the word of God, they wanted what their heart wanted. And so God gives them over to that. Um, let me read to you the warning that God gave to the Israelites before he granted their request. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 10 through, I believe it's, uh, let me see. Yeah, 10 through 18. Uh, it says here, Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. He said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. Now, let me tell you that this is not only the king who, will, who has been chosen here, but this will be uh, the practice of all the kings who reign over them. It says, he will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run after his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and equipment of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to your servants. He will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and his servants. He will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And now look at verse 18. In that day, you will cry out because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourself, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. So Israel says, we want a king to follow. God says, I'll give you the king. This is what he's going to do to you. He's going to take everything that you have, and it's going to be his. And they said, no, still, give us a king. We think this is what's best for us. And then when we look at our passage... We see this king who, oh, he's not a king yet, but this man who will be chosen as a king. And I want you to notice some of his traits. Um, number one, he comes from a wealthy family. I mean, what better suitor for a king than a man who comes from a wealthy family, right? I mean, that's just like, okay. Yeah, he, he, he fits the mold. Number two, he is handsome. Oh, you surely need that, right? You need... Someone who is wealthy, you need someone who is handsome. And oh, by the way, he's taller than everybody else, right? So he's wealthy, handsome, and he's tall. 
this is, just, this is the guy right here. This is the guy who's going to lead us, and he is going to be our king, and he's going to be the perfect representation of God. At least that's what they think. We know otherwise, it doesn't work out that way. So, how can we relate to this? I mean, we, we make decisions every day based on what we see. And a lot of times, it's what we see and what we've experienced, and we think it's the right thing. It's, it's okay to do that. We have to base our decisions off of what we see, what we've been through, but there's a key ingredient that we're missing. It's what God says about it, right? That's the key ingredient. What God says about it determines if it's true or false, and it also determines if it's right or wrong. And that's the part that we cannot miss. We cannot miss the fact of what does God say about what I want? And if, it's, if what we want is not true or what we want is not good for us, then we're supposed to bend to the word of God. We're supposed to bow down to the word of God. It is our ultimate authority and we're supposed to follow that. But what happens a lot of times? Well, we want to follow what's in our hearts. Right. And, and if we're not careful, we follow along with society because society says, do what feels right to you. Do what feels right to you. Well, the things that feel right to us aren't always right in the eyes of God. Right. Um, so as we study this passage, again, I want to speak about the topic of discernment. And discernment is basically the ability to determine between what is right and what is wrong. And I, I love this quote from, uh, from Spurgeon, from Charles Spurgeon. He's the one who famously said this. Discernment is not a matter of simply telling the difference between right and wrong. Rather, it is telling the difference between right and almost right. Right and almost right. You see, to me, that, that really hits the nail on the head because there, we have to make decisions all the time. And it seems like we have two right decisions. And it's, it's, it's hard to be able to determine what the right thing to do is. And, and so discernment, discernment that is from God, is very important because we're deciding between what is right and what, is, what seems right. But there's only one right thing to do. Right? There's only one thing that we can do, and, and that has to be on the side of God's word. As God's people, we, we must know what truth is. And we are going to, so today we're going to go through this passage here, and we are going to see the mistakes that the Israelites made, and you know, hopefully we can learn from that, and, and, and we can grab this truth from this passage and apply it to our lives, because I think Having proper discernment is extremely important in the world today. And not only today, but even in the past. And it's going to be extremely important in the future. Because truth, truth, the world is trying to change truth. And for us, we have to be able to determine what is right and what is almost right. So let's take a look at Saul. Um, what I want to do is I want to take a look at Saul and... Look at his qualities. I also want to look at the qualities of Christ. 
And then I want us to, or I want to preach to you about what proper discernment is and, and why we should apply it to our lives. So Israel's looking for a new king, and, they, and Saul is picked out. And I'll, I'll say this, Saul is picked out by the Lord. When you read through chapter 9, it, it basically is, you know, Saul is going through the, the, the region looking for his dad's donkeys. And as he goes on to this journey, he finds Samuel. And Samuel sees him and he realizes this is the king that God has chosen. Now, God has chosen him for a reason. Remember, he's going to be he's going to be a blessing because even in our disobedience, we receive blessings from the Lord. Thank God for that. Because if if the Lord wanted to, he could judge us right here, right now, and our sin would be exposed and we would just receive punishment from him. Instead, we receive discipline from him. So, yes, it hurts, but at the same time, the Lord does not take away his blessings from us for those who belong to him. Amen? So, so Saul is a blessing to the nation because God is appointing him and God is going to be graceful through him. But at the same time, God is appointing him as punishment for the nation. For rejecting him and wanting an earthly king. So... When the people see Saul, these are the qualities they recognize about him. That he comes from a wealthy family, that he is handsome, and that he's taller than everybody else. And that's why when I opened, I jokingly said, well, yeah, he's, he's definitely our king. We do the same thing, right? And that's what we have to be careful about. See, the lesson that the Lord is teaching the nation of Israel is that they cannot trust their own discernment. Discernment that is trustworthy, comes from the spirit of the Lord and it's founded on his word. That's what we have to realize. Discernment that is trustworthy, it comes from the Lord and it's founded on his word. You see, when, um, because the nation had rejected the Lord and gave, he gave them the desires of their hearts so that they could learn and so that they would realize that they'll never find a suitable replacement for him as ruler over their lives. I think that's an important lesson for us as well, too. As we go about chasing idols, we're never going to replace the Lord. Anything that we chase and put in God's place, it's, it's going to come to ruin. We're going to be hurt by it because there is no replacement for the Lord. And that's something that they had to realize. See, Scripture tells us that Saul looked apart. He looked like a king. Again, wealthy, tall, handsome. But he was not. See, when the people looked at them and looked at him, they fell in love with him based on what he looked like alone. And verses one and two tells us that. But notice that Saul's description only goes skin deep. When scripture talks about Saul, it's only his physical characteristics. Uh, Nothing about his character is revealed, only that he's tall, handsome and he's capable. He's capable. He's a capable uh, man. See, There's a difference between how God depicts uh, Saul in this passage and then how he depicts even like a person like Samuel. If you back up to chapter two, verse 26, this is what he says about Samuel. When Samuel was called to the ministry, he says the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with the Lord and also with man. You notice that? There is a physical characteristics that he lists about Samuel, but it doesn't stop there. It continues to talk about him growing in the favor of the Lord and also with man. There's another 
uh, description of Samuel in chapter 3, verse 19. It says, Samuel grew, okay, that's the physical characteristics. He was a young boy when he became priest, so he grew. And the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. So not only did he grow physically, but it gives you an idea of who he was as a person and how the Lord had blessed him. The Lord was with him. See, as far as the Israelites knew, Saul was the sure thing. But little did they know, as king, he would be a thorn on their side. Now, when it comes to us, how many times do we pick the sure thing? Right? Something that we think cannot miss, only to, come to only come to find out that it is a thorn on our side. See, we applied the eye test to it, just like the Israelites applied the eye test to Saul. And whatever it is that came into our lives that we thought was a sure thing, it may have passed that initial screening. Why? Because the basis of our eye test was the desires of our heart and not the word of God. That's usually how things get by the Christian. It's like, oh, I want this. We look at it. Looks great. I'll let it in, and then we find out we should have never let it in. I'll connect myself to it, and we find out we should have never connected ourselves to it. Because if we would have looked at it and said, and then our hearts would have said, ooh, I want that. Remember as a kid, everything you see, ooh, I want that, ooh, I want that, ooh, that's mine. Oh, no, that's mine. That's the way we are as adults still. We just don't verbalize it. We say it in our heart. Ooh, I want that. Ooh, I need that. Ooh, why don't I have that? Why do they get to have that? Why don't I have that? You know, it just goes on and on and on. But see, our hearts are going to say that. But if we go back to the word of God, our hearts have to yield to what the word of God is saying. And I think that's the important thing that is missing here with uh, the Israelites at this time. So we have to be careful that our eyes do not deceive us. Now, when we look at the nation of Israel, at this current time, it is a leader. The qualities that they want in a leader, that is what they are being deceived by. That is what their heart desires. Now, let me ask you this morning, what is it that is deceiving you? What is it that you are wanting in your heart that you have not judged against the word of God? See, that's very important. It could be a relationship. It could be a job. I don't know. I mean, it could be a ministry for that matter. If you want the ministry for the wrong reason. You know, it it could be countless things. It could be a house that you want, a car that you want. You have to answer that question. But let me tell you, our heart has desires all the time. Every day we have desires that well up in our heart. Are you judging those desires against the word of God? Now, that's enough picking on Saul. Let's look at Christ, right? So Saul is, is seen as, oh yeah, this is the one who fits the mold. He's the one that could be our king. Now, let's look at the eternal king of glory. When we look at Christ, we fast forward to the New Testament when the incarnation took place. Now, Jesus, mind you, he is the one who created all things and through himself and for himself, uh, all things were created, right? So that's what scripture says about Christ. 
that all things were created by him and for him. Well, when the incarnation took place, he entered the world. Now, that's profound enough as it is. God entering the world that he created. He took on flesh. He experienced the suffering that we experienced. That's that's just it's too mind boggling for us. Uh, but yet we can praise him in it for what we from what we know about it. But he entered the world, the eternal king of glory. He is the one who took on flesh. Now, surely when his people saw him, surely Jesus passed the eye test, right? As soon as they saw him, they, they were like, oh, no, yeah, he's he's the eternal king of glory. He's the one we've been following this whole time. He's the one who led us through the wilderness. He's the one who supplied all of our needs. He's the one who has shown us his powerful hand. Yes, he is Jesus. We're going to follow him as a nation. Did that happen? No, not at all. And, you know, I, I remember saying this in, when I was younger. If I only was around when Jesus was here, that would have strengthened my faith. Because I would have seen the Son of God. Thousands saw the Son of God and didn't believe. Why? Because they were only looking on him with their physical eyes. Look at, um, you don't have to turn there, but listen to this from Isaiah 53, verse 2. This is a description of what Jesus looked like. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Now listen to this. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Compare that to Saul. Man, Saul comes from a family who is wealthy. He's tall. He's handsome. Man, he looks like royalty. Christ came down, took on flesh. Scripture says he had no beauty that we should desire him. No majesty seen about him. What does that mean? He was a plain looking fella. Yeah, wasn't taller than everybody else. Wasn't extremely handsome. Just kind of, you know, regular guy. See, the majority of the people in the New Testament did not believe in Jesus. Why? Because he did not pass the eye test. Even, even when he performed mighty miracles, what did they say? Isn't this the son of a carpenter? Right there before them, he did these mighty signs. Wait, he said, this is Joseph's son. There's no way he could be the eternal king of glory. They took a look at Saul and said, oh, he must, he's going to be our next king. See, he didn't pass the eye test because of what he looked like and whose family he was born from. From an earthly perspective, it didn't make sense for Jesus to be the eternal king of glory. Now, notice what I said, from an earthly perspective. And what made it worse with Jesus is that when he went to the cross, think about this. I talked about the incarnation, but now let's talk about the crucifixion and how mind-blowing that is. The eternal king of glory, who had all power of creation at his fingertips, suffered on the cross. He died on the cross. So they didn't believe him before. And then when he went to the cross, they surely didn't believe. Why? Well, listen to this these depictions of Jesus on the cross. 
Um, Isaiah 52, uh, verse 14. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. That's the way Jesus looked on the cross. Um, Here's another passage, Isaiah 53, verse 3. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and he was and uh, and we esteemed him not. So what those two passages are saying is that this man, Jesus, was crucified. And when he was on the cross, his appearance was so marred, he was so beaten that men could not stand to look at him. He looked so grotesque, so horrible that they had to turn their face because they could not stand the sight of his appearance. People saw that and said, surely he's surely he's not the king. Surely, no way. A king doesn't look like that. The king has majesty. King is taller than everybody else. King is handsome. See, many missed the boat when it came to Jesus. But those, those who did receive him, they saw him full of majesty and splendor. How different is it today? It's not much different. There are so many people that do not believe and they don't get why you believe in the God that you believe in. They look at everything going on around and they're like, where is your God? Your God is no God. He's powerless. He can't do anything. He doesn't even show himself. And you're left to believe that God still rules. How can we come to that decision? Well, we can't come to that decision on our own based on what we know. It is the spirit of God that changes our hearts, gives us hope in his word. And we learn to trust him that he is still on his throne. There are many things that happen that we cannot explain, but the eternal king of glory still rules. We can't just look at things with our physical eyes. If we did that, we would have no hope because everything seems to be falling apart. I don't know about you, but I, I, I get accused of having a, a negative personality. I, I chalk it up as wisdom. When things are going good, I'm looking for when things are not going to be going so good. Right? Things are going good, I'm just thinking about what's coming, that, what, what, what storm is coming next. And I'm trying to think through it to prepare my mind for it. Am I always completely prepared? No, I'm not. But I'm just thinking, things are good now. I have enough, I've lived on this earth enough years to know things won't stay good. There's another storm coming. And so if I only apply my eye test to everything, man, I would have no hope. If I only applied my eye test to everything, I would grab everything my heart wanted and I'd be the most miserable person in the world. But yet, that's what society does. That's what the world does. That's what they teach our children. Go after what your heart wants. See, as Christians, 
There's something important that we have to put in there. Yes, go after what your heart wants if it aligns with the word of God. If that is what, if your heart wants what aligns with the word of God, then you can be sure that God has given that desire to you. Because God only gives us what pleases him. So, those who did believe him, man, they witnessed some wonderful stuff that everybody else missed. Because the Bible tells us that those who believed him, well, they, they saw the baptism of Jesus. They saw the baptism. They heard the voice. It was, it was awesome. Right? Those who believed upon Jesus, what else did they see? They saw him walk on water. Not everybody saw that. But they saw him walk on water and they saw the majesty, the, the power. They, they saw his divinity. What else did they see? Well, they saw him calm the storm. After he calmed the storm, what did the disciples say? They were terrified. Even the winds and the waves listened to him. They witnessed that. The transfiguration. They saw that. Most importantly, they saw the resurrection and they saw the ascension. See, this is what God gave those who believe. And it's the same thing for us today. Us who believe. People say, well, why do you believe? Because we cannot help it. Even though the world cannot see God, we see God in everything. Good or bad, we see God in it. When there is a birth, we see God in that and we praise him. When there is a death, we see God in that and we praise him. Our hearts have no other choice. So, Christians, brothers and sisters, we need to be careful on how we discern things. My hope to you is that you hear this message and you learn that we cannot discern things like the world discerns things. We must be separate from that. We must be set apart. We must acknowledge what the word of God says and we must be led by that. So what was the difference between Saul and Christ? And I'm going to wrap it up here. Saul looked apart, but he wasn't the real thing. Christ did not look to part, but he was the real thing. You see how hard it is? Truth and almost truth. Things aren't so simple all the time. So how can we discern between what's real or true? Or excuse me, how can we determine or discern between what's real or true or what is not? Jesus's conversion uh, conversation with Pilate gives us some very helpful insight on this topic. I'm going to read this to you and then and then we'll conclude after this. Uh, This is from John chapter 18, verses 36, 38. And obviously this is where I got the title of the sermon. Jesus is having a conversation with Pilate and Pilate is questioning Jesus if he's a king or not. And this is what Jesus says. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world. My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world. 
to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Now, did you catch that? Jesus said he came to bear witness to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth listens to his voice. See, the believer is able to discern truth from falseness by the spirit and through the word of the Lord. It is John, uh, John chapter 16 that says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. You see, we have the spirit of God who lives in us, who guides us, who helps us, who strengthens us, who gives us hope. And who imparts wisdom upon us. We are to use our life experiences combined with the leading of the spirit. And it's all founded on the word of God in order to discern what is right and what is wrong, or to do what is right or what is wrong. See, many believe, especially in the charismatic circles, that discernment is just like this, this supernatural gift to be able to tell if, I don't know, the craziest things. Uh, they think it, it comes upon you and then it leaves, or they think that some have it way more than others. Uh, they think that like maybe a, a spiritual leader, like someone like a pastor, would have this huge amount of discernment and everything he says is right. Do y'all think that's true? No. It's not. It's not a gift that few are given. Discernment is something that God gives to all his children. Now, I will admit some, some have more discernment than others, but it has nothing to do with the rank of a person, so to speak, in church. There are plenty of pastors who don't have good discernment, and you can tell. See, discernment is given to us as we believe and repent, as we live our lives, as we learn lessons from our mistakes and our triumphs. But it's, it, that's just part of it. That discernment that is profitable, that is good for us, it is, again, tamed by the word of God. And we are led by the Spirit in remembering what he has taught us in the past. See, the truth is that all Christians are able to discern between what is right and what is wrong. Yes, some do it better, better than others. But the ability for a Christian to tell between Right and wrong is acquired through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the wisdom of his word. Discernment, it is truly a gift of God. And it is applied to us as we experience life under the guidance of his spirit and in the light of his word. See, we gain it through, as I said before, the triumphs, the failures, everything that goes on. But listen, and I think this is really important. Discernment is not automatic. It's not just going to like 
you're, the light bulb's not just going to go off one day and you can trust your own discernment. You're not going to get to an age where you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for 50, 60 years, and you're, and, and you're just completely confident in all the decisions that you make. And the reason why I say that is because the most, the, the most wisest man in the Bible, other than Christ, Solomon, he prayed for this when he was younger. The Lord has said, what do you want, Solomon? He said, please give me discernment so I can lead your people. Man, what an awesome prayer. And the Lord gave him discernment, gave him wisdom, gave him knowledge more so than anybody who, who has ever lived. And what happened to Solomon? He fell to idols. All of his wives, he had a thousand wives. That's not wise at all. A thousand wives, each one of them followed different idols. And so did his heart. The man who was the wisest man who had ever lived trusted in his own discernment over the Lord and look where it led him. See, we cannot trust our hearts for one minute, but we can trust in the word of God. And we can trust in the spirit of God. See, the world may be screaming at us, this is right, do this. But if the word of God says no, that's where we stand. That's where we stand. There is, there is nothing else. Right now, the world is trying to change truth. I love that question from Pilate. What is truth? Well, truth is relative in this type of, in, 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 in our society. Truth is what feels good. That's what truth is in this society. If we follow that, man, we're going to fall for everything. We need to be solid and firm on the word of God. We need to remember that the Lord's thoughts are not our thoughts, neither are his ways our ways. For the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are his ways higher than our ways, and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. Our eyes deceive us. Why? Because we have sinful hearts. Listen, if idols, and this is what we talked about last week, that idols were made in the heart. If idols are made in the heart, we all know that in order to make something, you have to gather materials for it, right? So if idols are made in the heart, the eyes gather the material to make those idols. Because it's our eyes that look, see, and want then that goes into our hearts. We make an idol out of it. We need to make sure that there's this filter. There's a filter in between what we see and what we want. I don't know about you, but I tried to check my filters at home very often, my air conditioned filters, and sometimes I forget. And I pull that thing out and I look at what we're breathing in. It's like, man, I haven't checked this filter in forever. I'm thankful that the word of God is never that way. The word of God is there to protect us from our hearts and also to protect our hearts. And we need to take advantage of that. Listen to this from 2 Corinthians. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Talking about this life that we live here, right? Everything that we go through in this world, 
It's all this affliction. It's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now listen to the rest of this. As we look, right? As we look. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Paul says, for the things that are seen are transient. They're passing away. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We live by faith and not by sight. Let us pray.